Well, if I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King. Uh, for those of you that are in Ferndale, and I want to welcome the Ferndale Church along with us tonight, and those who are watching online, they haven't really experienced anything different over the past uh, couple of weeks because we've been using video and some other technology, and, and uh, but I've been gone for about the last month and a half, recharging my batteries and, uh, and just having an amazing time uh, with God. So for those of you at Ferndale, I know this is normal, but welcome, and uh, those online and people here in Bellingham, just glad that you're here. One announcement before we get started, and the announcement this, we're going to baptize next weekend. If you feel like God is calling you to take that step of obedience, we just really encourage you to do that. If you're at the Ferndale campus, we'd invite you to come on Saturday night to be baptized, and then we'll be honoring you in the service at Ferndale as well. And it's just a wonderful time in the middle of summer, if God is calling you to do this, to take that step of faith and obedience, and to just really encourage you um, to move in that direction. Well, as I said before, it's, uh, it's amazing to be back. I am I'm humbled uh, by the love and support that we got in taking a break. Um, that was pretty amazing to me. Uh, I, I wish I could wrap up everything I learned and experienced in one tidy little package, but the truth is I'm still just kind of working it out in my head. Working it out in my heart, working out in my mind. And, and so for this weekend, I'd like to just, your permission to just kind of go on a journey together. It's a snapshot of my journey, just a little piece of, of what I've walked through over the last six weeks. But hopefully it's going to encourage you and your walk with Jesus as well. The, the last time I was here, before I left, I, I told everybody I was pretty much frazzled and exhausted. I was running and leading on empty. The best way I could sum it up was, was that the pace at which I was trying to accomplish God's work was killing the work of God in me. The best way I could describe it was that it always felt like I kind of had eight conversations running in my head at the same time, and I couldn't shut off all of the conversations. And, and the more I tried to sift through the noise, the more distracted I would become. And so... Because of the godly influence of the leadership here at Christ the King, I stopped. I just stopped. I put my professional life on hold. I turned the noise off, and I got really, really, really quiet. In the first couple of days of my break, God made a very honest request for my summer. For those of you who are type A personalities... For those of you who, who, who live your life on energy drinks and every day is a treadmill for you and you just live with these little catchphrases like the winner in me is soon to be. Those of you who are just driven and you can't get your life to slow down no matter what, I'm going to tell you something. God's honorous request to me is going to offend you in the next 30 seconds. He's going to get in your face just a little bit. Here was what God asked me to do this summer. 1 Thessalonians 4 says this, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. This is how I've interpreted that verse for my own life for the past 22 years. Grant, make it your ambition to lead a hectic life and to drive yourself into the ground because if you don't, people might think you're lazy. 
be involved in everyone's business because that's what spiritual supermen do. And work with your tongue because people are impressed with eloquent words and bumper sticker answers that they band-aid to their souls as a substitute for what Jesus really says. Work to gain people's respect so they'll be dependent on you, your words, and your phony approach to what Jesus really wants. That has been the way I've interpreted those verses. And I will tell you, my translation, my interpretation of 1 Thessalonians 4 has been both sinful and wrong. I told you before I left that God had convicted me of my lack of obedience. And he called me to do what the Bible actually says which is to lead a quiet life that would scare me. It scared me. I need to say something here, just in case you think something may have shifted while I was gone. I believe the Bible. Every single word from the front cover to the back cover and everything in between. It's the divine, inspired, beautiful peace. It's a love letter from God to his children. And if we will just learn to do what it says, this crazy world that we live in will be so much better. That's what I believe. It's a deep conviction that burns in the bottom of my soul. I believe it because when I checked it again, it's filled with all wisdom and all power because it was written by a God who's all wise and all powerful and he actually knows what's best for us. I believe the power of the written word of God even when I'm not the best person at actually doing that. So this summer I actually tried to do it Here's what I did. This was my response to 1 Thessalonians 4. I tried to lead a quiet life, so I took my life off the grid. I shut down my email. I turned off my voicemail. I canceled all of my meetings. I screened my calls at home. I told everybody I was going off of the grid. I made a decision. I was actually going to trust God that he could look after people. That he could care for people and watch over them and nurture their souls. I resigned to my position as the self-appointed king of my universe. I took my hands off of God's church and actually trusted him to take care of it. And then I did the most important thing, the craziest thing I've ever done. I shut my mouth. That is no small task for me. you have any idea what or who you can hear when you stop talking? It's incredible. It's amazing. Some of you need to do this. Some of you need to shut down your Facebook, throw your phone in Birch Bay, decide not to Twitter every detail of your life, Stop drinking coffee for a time. Somebody like, you lost me right there, right? You just <laughs> done right there. And just get quiet. So I took my light off, life off the grid. Number two, I focused on my relationship with God. Because that verse in the Bible said I'm supposed to mind my own business. God and me, that's my business. I did something I haven't done a long time. I did my quiet times for my soul. Not as the springboard to my next sermon. Not as an academic exercise. I did my quiet times for me. Oh, sweet. 
I talked with God and he talked back. And thirdly, I worked with my hands. I built a fire pit in my backyard. I turned a corner of my backyard into a garden and a fire pit and the combination of sun and sweat were a gift from God. It was amazing. In doing that, I had some surprises along the way. One of the huge surprises for me this summer were the conversations that I had with God once my head and my heart were quiet enough to actually hear. God and I talked a lot. Some of the conversations were quick. Some of them were drawn out over a number of days. All of them were essential. Some of them were life-giving. Others of them were incredibly convicting. Here's a summary of my discovery. Honest conversations are hard. They're hard. Honest conversations are hard because they go beyond the surface level that so many of us enjoy living on. I mean, think about some of the conversations you may have had over the past couple of weeks. Hey, how are you? I'm fine. Me too. Anything new? Nope. Cool. Nice talking to you. Let's do it again sometime. And then off you go. And we call that intimate conversation. If you think that only happens with people, try again. Because maybe you've heard something like this coming out of you before. Dear God, thanks for a good day. Thanks for the nice weather. Please keep everyone safe. If you love me, you'd give me a new car. I like yellow. Bless the children in Africa. See you tomorrow. Amen. Shallow conversation. Rote and robotic. I mean, it just begs the question, where's the passion? Where's the intimacy? Where's the honesty? Where's the depth? When we know who's on the other side of the conversation. I found a quote that's unbelievably powerful, especially if you put it in the context of a gut-wrenching, honest conversation with God. The quote says this. I put it in your outline. It says, some people will not tolerate such emotional honesty in communication. They would rather defend their dishonesty on the grounds that it might hurt others. Therefore, having rationalized their phoniness into nobility, they settle for superficial relationships. When was the last time you had an honest conversation with your Creator? I'm not talking about some rote prayer that you just spout off off the top of your head because that's your habit. I'm talking about a straight-up, honest, no-hold-barred conversation with your Creator that leaves you exhausted at the end because you've been very, very busy Listening and sharing. I'm going to take a huge risk this weekend. Because I'd like to give you an example of one of my honest conversations from the last couple of weeks. I'm going to let you eavesdrop on one of the most gut-wrenching, difficult conversations that I have ever had in my life. This is a snapshot of an honest conversation with God. One morning, I'm on my back deck, sitting alone, looking at the ugly corner of my backyard that I wanted to do something with. And I'm just sitting there, looking at this barren corner, fence, dirt. It's all that's there. And God asks me a question. Grant, do you love me? Now, I, I want you to understand something. Before you get a very weird picture of God, 
It was not a needy, sniveling, seventh grade, emotional, hey, Grant, do you love me? It wasn't that at all, okay? It was more of a grandfatherly, rhetorical, if you answer the question honestly, son, you're going to learn something amazing. That was how the question came. Grant, do you love me? And what immediately came out of my heart, my response, was both telling and devastating. My first answer was, of, of, of course I love you. I come from a long tradition of people that love you. I answered him with history. That's the blank in your outline. As if my family tree was somehow the basis for God's love and acceptance. That somehow, because my dad was a Christian, and my, and my mom was a Christian, and my grandfather was a Christian, that somehow that meant something between me and him, other than an amazing amount of gratitude for having a great family line. That one didn't seem to sit very well, so I answered him again. Of course I love you. I, I chose a profession that centers on loving you. First, I answered him with history. Second, I answered him with performance. What happened in my heart was basically this. I mean, come on, God, I'm a pastor. <laughs> That's what pastors do. We love God. Surely the fact that I've devoted myself to serving you in this way, that should count for something, shouldn't it? That answer didn't seem to work either, so I move on to the next one. I, said, I mean, I, of course I love you. I've accepted your offer to deal with my guilt and my shame. I answered with compliance. Now, it's not bad compliance, but it was like some kind of a business deal that we had gone through. I mean, I basically said, of course I love you. I, I, I think I kind of owe you that because I had this, you know, remember that little sin thing? And you came in and very graciously took care of that for me, and I'll be forever grateful. So I complied, right? That didn't sit very well either. So I said, I'm kind of getting desperate here by now. Of course I love you. I say it all the time. I answered with declaration. I say it all the time, God. That should take care of it. Have you ever had somebody ask you a question, and then you answer it, and then you realize after you've answered it that you really didn't answer the question? God asked me, do you love me? I used to do musical theater a long time ago, one of my favorite moments. And all of the great old musicals that have ever been done happens in a musical called Fiddler on the Roof. Tevia and Golda. Tevia is a milkman. He's a Jewish milkman. He lives in a very, very poor town, basically just kind of lives his life, minds his own business to a point. He's married to an older lady named Golda. They've been married for many, many years. And one day, Tevia says to Golda, do you love me? Golda says, do I love you? With our daughters getting married and the trouble in this town, you're upset, you're worn out. Go inside, lie down. Maybe it's indigestion. Tevia says, Golda, I'm asking you a question. Do you love me? Golda says, you're a fool. Tevia says, I know. But do you love me? Golda says, do I love you? For 25 years, I've washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned your house, given you children, milked the cow. After 25 years, why talk about love now? Tevia says, Golda, the first time I met you was on our wedding day. I was scared. She says, I was shy. 
He says, I was nervous. She says, so was I. Tevia says, but my father and my mother said we'd learn to love each other. And now I'm asking, Golda, do you love me? Golda says, I'm your wife. Tevia says, I know, but do you love me? And then Golda kind of steps to the side and starts thinking out loud. She goes, do I love him? For 25 years, I've lived with him, fought with him, starved with him. 25 years, my bed is his. If that's not love, then what is? Tevia interrupts her thoughts and says, do you love me? Do you love me? Golda says, I suppose I do. Tevia says, and I suppose I love you too. And then the two of them sing together. It doesn't change a thing. But even so, after 25 years, it's nice to know. I was stunned by God's question. It caught me totally off guard. I almost threw a flag and called a foul. It just said, you don't get to talk to me about this stuff. Grant, do you love me? God asked me if I loved him. What I gave him was a list of things that I do or I have done that I thought should be interpreted as love. You know what kills me? What kills me is this. All of my responses to God's question had nothing to do with love. Nothing to do with love. Scripture says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is, help me out, love. Not duty, not responsibility, not passion, not prestige, not lip service, not promises, not your title. Love. So I finished my answer list, and this was God's response. You missed the question. I didn't ask you what you've done. I asked you, do you love? And then he went one step further. And said, Grant, you've never let me love you the way I want to. So I started thinking, do I love God? Do I pursue God? Do I believe in the core of my being that God loves me unconditionally? Do I believe that God loves me when I'm doing something and even when I'm strategically doing nothing? Do I believe God loves me only when people love me? Do I believe that, 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 that He loves me when, when people can't stand the sight of me? Do I believe he loves me completely, thoroughly, in success and in failure, when I'm up and when I'm down, when I got money and when I don't, when I get it right and when I get it wrong? Do I believe in the bottom of my soul that no matter who I am or what I've done, that I have a Father in heaven that sees me as a precious child and that his soul emotion towards me is unadulterated, unconditional, all-consuming, all-accepting, all-intimate love? Those are tough questions. Here's some more questions wrapped up in a little bit of application here. Here's some honest questions to consider. Number one is this. I mean, I've been going through this. Now it's your turn, all right? Is my life quiet enough to hear God? 
The Bible tells us of a man named Elijah who was a prophet who was living very loud as a prophet of God. He was doing some big stuff and getting lots of attention. And then this happens in 1 Kings 19. The Bible says, the Lord said to Elijah, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I mean, I just want you to think for a second. Think about everything in your life that contributes to the noise level in your brain and in your heart. How many voices are you allowing in your life to outshout God? Because if you didn't learn it from what I read, God whispers to his children. That's a clue. Let me ask you another question. This ought to get me some mail this week. It's okay. What gets more of your attention, Christ the King? Facebook or God's book? Just asking. You know what scared me the most about getting really, really quiet before God? It was this. I was really afraid about what I was going to hear. I was afraid about what I would hear from myself. I was afraid about what I would hear when I just turned down all of the noise. I'm going to tell you, my head is a messed up place sometimes, and I realize that I often turn up the volume of my life because I don't want to hear myself. One of the greatest blessings of the past six weeks has been to have one conversation going on in my brain at a time. You should try it. It's a gift. What does that mean for us? It means we've got to make some tough choices. We've got to eliminate some noise. We need to let God speak. Secondly, another tough question, is my life owned by another love other than God? Revelation chapter 2, I believe Pastor Sean shared this with you a couple of weeks ago. The Bible says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. I discovered that performance, prestige, pursuit, things that you think are okay to a certain degree had become idols in my life. I mean, I, I, have, I have no idea what your idol could be. No idea. I just know that almost everybody has one. It could be a relationship that you're in that you've justified, even though you know it doesn't meet God's approval. It could, it could be a job that, that you're working at that calls you to compromise on a daily basis. It could be a hobby that you started that's now turned into an obsession and is taking your attention away from Jesus. My friends, look at your life. Look where you put your time and your energy. That's your idol. And that's what God wants to talk to you about. Let's be honest. Most of us call ourselves followers of Jesus, but our reality is we're following a whole lot of other things and doing Jesus on the side. 
I've been doing that. And I'm a pastor. Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. One of the commandments is that we would have no other God's little g before God big G. So is your heart divided like mine is? Or focus solely with devotion on Jesus? Here's number three. Probably the toughest question of them all for me. Have I ever allowed myself to fully experience God's love? I spent a part of this summer in the white pages of my Bible. I love the New Testament. I love the Gospels. I love Revelation. I like the, the first five books. They're really, really good. I moved to the white pages. I did some reading in Zephaniah. I mean, not many people, when we're looking for inspiration, run to Zephaniah of all places. I'm sure Zephaniah 3.17 has been in the Bible for centuries upon centuries, but I've never seen it. Not till this summer. It says this. The Lord your God is with you, and he is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love, and he will rejoice over you with singing. As a pastor, I've, I've witnessed many people receive unbelievably devastating news, whether it's the death of a child or or a diagnosis of cancer. I've seen many of you comfort other people when they've heard devastating news. And I always notice this. I notice that, that people, when someone's hurting, people move towards them. And they often will push, put their arms around them. Here's something I've never experienced. I've never seen anyone, when someone else is hurting, gather them close in their arms and then do this. It's going to be okay! Don't you worry about a thing! I'm here, you can cry, just let it all out. Don't worry about a thing. We have good doctors in Bellingham. I've never seen anybody do that. Never. I've never seen, I scared some of you, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen a parent comfort a child when they've hurt themselves by pulling them into their lap and saying, <laughs> you're going to be fine! <laughs> you get the point? I've never seen that. I've seen people gather other people in their arms and say, shh, it's okay. God's going to get you through this. I've seen parents pull children to them and say, it's okay. You're all right. I got you. It's okay to be scared. I'll take care of it. That I've seen. The Bible says that God quiets us with his love. That means when we allow him to fully love us, he gathers us as close as we can possibly be, and he says, I've got you. You are mine. And I won't let go. And when you think you're walking by yourself, I'm carrying you.
As part of our break, we returned home to see family in Saskatchewan. At the airport, I violated 1 Thessalonians 4 because I wasn't minding my own business, but I saw two guys in the airport restaurant sitting in the corner, and they kind of attracted my attention because I noticed they had the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous sitting on the table in between them. And I could tell by their conversation that one was a sponsor and the other one was one of those amazing heroes who's tackling their addiction head on, and it was very obvious to me that he'd relapsed. So they're having a conversation. They're talking back and forth to each other. And the older, wiser one says to the younger one this sentence, you can't get honest with anybody until you're honest with yourself first. You can't get honest with anybody else until you get honest with yourself first. Well, I'd like to take his wisdom, go a little bit, one step further, because I believe God's family needs to hear not just that, but something else. It's the final blank in your outline, and it goes like this. Before you can ever be honest with yourself or others, you must first be honest with God. My honest moment came sitting on my back deck and saying, God, I've been a pastor for a long time, and I feel like I lost you. Like somehow our friendship grew cold. That my Bible got dusty. That worship became something about my musical preference instead of seeing the face of God. I said, God, it feels like you're here and I'm here. I didn't like his response because he said, Grant, I didn't move. I didn't move. So this is what we are going to do. We are going to have an honest moment with God right now. And Mike and, and the band are going to come, and we're going to worship. We're going to have a moment to pray and talk to God and to invite him to turn us inside out with his love. Ferndale, this is Mike and his band. They were leading here this weekend, and they're going to sing for you in just a moment. I hope you'll just enter into this moment with us in Ferndale here at Bellingham. This is what we need to have happen. Don't worry about what anybody else is doing for the next four and a half minutes. This isn't between you and God and the person next to you. This is between you and God. This is a moment when we get to get quiet. We can hear God's voice and we can make a decision. Not just the decision to love God, but the decision to allow Him to love us the way He wants. You can sit. You can stand. You can sing. You can sit mute. You can lift your hands. You can do absolutely nothing. No one's going to care because they should be worrying about themselves and themselves alone. This is a moment to let God whisper to you. Can I be so presumptuous as to tell you what he desperately wants to say.
loves you. Wants you. He can't get enough of you. You're precious to him. Will you let him love you? So Mike's going to lead you do whatever God tells you to do. Let's worship together. And my prayer is that God will do that to each and every one of us. That he'll turn us inside out. side of our lives can line up with everything that's going on way down deep in here. Christ the King, here's your homework. One moment this week. Turn it all off. God's Holy Spirit wrap your soul in the beautiful words I love you I love you let me love him let's pray as we close God, we confess anything that's gotten in the way, something that's distracted us or pulled for our attention. God, maybe it's safety and comfort, and it's frozen us to a point where we haven't been willing to take a step of faith. God, maybe it's it's that hobby that's just grown a little too big. God, anything that takes our attention away from you, we lay it in front of you and ask that you would remove it. And that you would restore that intimate, deep, and honest conversation that we all so desperately want. Thank you for being patient, God being loving. We give you all praise and all glory. It's the God who loves to speak to his children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We need to talk with somebody about what we've talked about tonight. I'm just going to invite you. Uh, Pastor Felix is back from Africa and uh, so glad to have Felix back home again. He and his after-service care team will be here at the front if you'd like somebody to talk to. We'd love nothing more than chatting and praying with you after the service. We're going to bring the service to conclusion by returning back to God our tithes and our offerings. If you're a guest here, I'd really encourage you to, to do 
a, me a really big favor. When that offering bucket comes to your row, if you're a guest, would you please just let that slip on by you? We don't want anything from you. Thank you for trusting us with an hour of your summer. We hope you've heard God. Maybe glimpsed Jesus tonight. If that happened, that was church. And we hope you'll come back and see us again really, really soon. But we don't want anything from you. Thanks for being here. In a few moments, the ushers are going to start in the back. They'll work their way towards the front when the offerings passed you by. I'm going to ask you to stand with Mike and the team again. And we are going to finish with praise. How amazing is it that God wants to talk with us? How cool is it that He would love nothing more than to give you His undivided attention? That's what's waiting on the other side of an honest conversation with God. Be careful. Conversations with God have a tendency to turn you inside out. It's good to get hope.